How many know your praise is a weapon? Amen. Praise God even when you don't feel like it. Praise God in every season of your life and watch what he'll do. Open up your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 14. Someone say precious cornerstone. Amen. I want to talk to you today about Jesus being our precious cornerstone. How many have heard that before? Cornerstone as it relates to Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, so what I want you to think about now is what a cornerstone is. And brothers, I have it up there for you on the screen. If you could click it and put it up there, you'll see a picture of a cornerstone on the desktop. I want you to think of what a cornerstone is when it comes to how they build uh, structures out of stone. As they're getting that up, look to Isaiah chapter 28 and go to verse 14. I was listening to this the other day, and it caught my attention because I'm going through the Bible in a year, and as I heard it, I was like, man, I got to stop and re-listen to this, and I listened to it again. It is so powerful. But most of us today, we don't live in a time where we see things built with stone, so we're not able to imagine what a cornerstone is. But how many can take a guess where a cornerstone would be? It'd be on the corner. And what do you think it's made out of? Stone, yeah, yeah. So we got a picture of it that's going to be coming up here in just a minute for these brothers here. And uh, this is a good way to look at it. I like how they made it out of the cross. And we'll be going to Matthew in just a moment. But I want you to think about why that cornerstone is important. Oftentimes, they say back in the day, they would lay that cornerstone first because from that cornerstone, they could then have the proper alignment for the walls that then would come up or the foundation. And so that was pretty much the first stone that was laid. And if that was laid right, they would know how to go in each direction and then connect it on the other side. This stone had to be able to also bear the weight that was put upon it. So it was a ceremony that they would bring out that stone. It was usually a big, heavy stone, and it was sometimes bigger than the rest of the stone, so it would stand out. Even in the olden days, in, in American culture, there has been buildings that had ceremonies of the cornerstone being laid, and if you look for it, sometimes even on churches, you can see dedications there on the cornerstone. So, you know, how we would have like a ribbon-cutting ceremony, there would be like a ceremony, something that you would want to celebrate when you put down that cornerstone, because it's important. Somebody say precious cornerstone. Thank you. Now go to Isaiah. Thank you, brothers. Go to Isaiah chapter 28. Look at verse 14 here. The prophet is speaking. It says, therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. So I want you to notice now who God is going to be speaking to, the rulers of Jerusalem. So this right here has to give us a little bit of insight of what we're supposed to do as Christians. Number one, do we get involved in politics as Christians, yes or no? Yes, because we have a word for rulers, don't we? If we stayed out of politics, what kind of mess would it be? Now, sometimes people say, well, what about, you know, church and politics? I thought, you know, church and state, rather, they're supposed to be separate. Yes, my church or your church is not supposed to run the state. But you as a Christian coming from church, you're supposed to go to that state and do something. You're supposed to be, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, you're supposed to be the conscience of the state. So who do you want more of as governors? Do you want more people like your brother or sister that's sitting next to you now or like the governors that we have that are ungodly? 
godly. You see, I want you to be in the state. I want you to use your godly wisdom and insight to make a difference. And not only that are we supposed to serve in the state to be leaders, we're also supposed to keep them accountable and speak to them. So here is what uh, now the young people say, speaking truth to power. How many know the prophets were speaking truth to power first? This is where it first began. Speaking truth to power came from the prophets. So this is where I do have a problem where people are like just America and all they do is see their political party as the answer. A political party is not the answer. I don't need politicians to fix America. I got Jesus and that's more than enough. I just need you and I to live like Jesus. Are you listening? I don't need a political party to fix the problems. I need Jesus. We don't need more police, though police are fine. I need Jesus. There's a video that goes out, and sometimes people do it on TikTok and uh, Instagram in their own way, but it's something like, you know, you ask me, why do I need Jesus to live my life and to go to work and all these things? I don't need Jesus just to go to work. I need Jesus to go to the grocery store. I need Jesus to get up in the morning. Has anybody heard that one before? That's a good one because I need Jesus to breathe. Last time I checked, you weren't making oxygen and oxygenating the earth. Was that you that did that? You know, last time I checked, you didn't put that sun up there that gives us the energy to have life. Have you ever walked around a garden before or somebody that planted something and said, man, isn't that amazing? I wish I could say, have you ever walked around your garden, but that would be kind of hypocritical. I haven't done it, but does anybody here have a garden? Anybody do the garden? You could tell that story. Well, no, nobody gardening in the city. <laughs> like we all in the city folks right here. But I was driving out in the country the other day, and I saw this stuff growing out of the ground that looked like I could eat it. It was called corn. Isn't that amazing? That stuff just comes out of the earth. Have you ever ate fruit before and just stopped and thought about it like God's candy is fruit? And you're sitting here looking at this thing. This thing is red. It comes from a brown seed that goes in black dirt. It's watered with H2O that's clear. And then it comes up from a brown stamp, you know, stump with some green leaves. And yet it's, it's red. Here's, and then there's an orange. I was walking by even my neighbor's house. They had an apple apple tree there the other day, and they literally had a beautiful apple just laying on the floor, and the guy was just sitting there chilling. So I just picked up the apple in front of him, and then I looked at him, and I'm like, you know, making like a signal, like, can I have this apple? And he just gives me the nod, like, yeah, go ahead and have that apple. And I just took that thing home, and then I washed it, and I ate it, and I'm like, why am I even washing it? This thing is probably cleaner than anything I've gotten out of a grocery store, right? But that's the way the world is. The world is made for our enjoyment. The world is made for our prosperity. The world is made for our blessing, but we have gone astray. Our governments have gone astray. Our neighbors have gone astray, as, as the people say, from the White House to your house, to Main Street to your street. We have gone astray. And look at what God is saying right here. He says, I'm going to address this to you scoffers, you who rule the people in Jerusalem. How many would like God to speak that to some scoffers who rule the city of Chicago? How many would like God to speak that to some scoffers who rule the nation, either in the Congress, you know, senators and presidents? Come on, somebody. I believe this is about time that we hear words like this. Somebody say, precious cornerstone. 
Thank you. He said, I want you to talk to these scoffers, those who rule the land. You know, God gave us this land. God gave us this for his glory. And here, they're going to get a rebuke because they're not doing the right thing. Look at uh, verse uh, 15. You boast. You know, they're bragging. What do you boast about? Let's hear what they say. This is what these people boast about. They say, we have entered into a covenant with death. With the realm of the dead, we have made an agreement. Some may say, they're wicked. So that's scary. Look at this. They made a covenant with death, my brother. They made an agreement with the dead. This is what they say. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it can't touch us. For we have made our lie, made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. God says, I hear your boast. This is what you're boasting in. You're saying, look, I don't need God. I made a covenant with death. Do you know that there's even a God of death in the Hindu religion? Did you know that? There's a God of Hindu, uh, in the Hindu faith of death and destruction. People have made covenants with what they thought was death. Now, the Bible says that God carries the power of death, and even though the, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he can't do anything that God hasn't allowed him to do. See the book of Job. So sometimes people say, well, does that mean God is the author of evil? No, when God gave us a choice, we suffered the consequence of evil upon this planet, but God now uses all evil for good. So there is no random evil. There is no evil that God cannot redeem. Some may say, Father, filter. Thank you. Everything in human history has been Father filtered from the Holocaust to slavery to all the wars, and God is using it for his glory. And what are we supposed to see in the evil of this world how much we need a good God? You're not supposed to look at all the evil in this world and go, well, therefore, that means there's no God, because how would you recognize evil if the whole world was nothing but evil? See, a fish doesn't know what's in water because all it knows is water. Are you guys listening to me? The only reason why you and I can compare plain and say there's a problem with evil is because we know there's this other thing called good. But does good come from evil like as the source? Is the source of good evil? Of course not. So if you have evil and then you have good and evil cannot produce good, then how did it get here? We had good but chose evil. See, good was the original, and that's why it doesn't feel right when evil happens. That's why you don't see a committee there in the plains of Africa when the lions eat the little other uh, you know, hyenas or the antelopes that are there, whatever they're eating. You don't see then a committee going, hey, we want to stop you lions from doing this. Anybody ever see Zootopia with some of your children? There, there's not like some committee. They, they don't know that as evil. That's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Dogs eat dogs. It's not, that's not a big deal. The reason why we know evil is because we were made in God's image. And evil for us, according to our conscience, is abnormal. It's not normal. It's like whenever you lose somebody that you love and you cry. Are you crying because you're stupid? I mean, you knew you were going to lose them. Right? How many know people don't live forever? But it still hurts when somebody dies. Even as you were saying about, about Jesus and Lazarus, even Jesus, the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. Well, was Jesus stupid? He knew he would raise him from the dead, and even then he knew you would see him in heaven. But why does it hurt? Because it's not natural. It's painful to say goodbye. Even though we may see him again in heaven, death has come upon this earth. And even though we know we can live on and we're going to see people when, when we die and, and, and see them in heaven, we know that death is abnormal. We know that evil just doesn't feel right. The person that says, man, I don't believe in good and evil, how do you act when somebody cuts you off in traffic? 
See, we see you're a hypocrite right away. Everybody becomes a moralist. Everyone becomes an objective moralist and stops being a subjective moralist the moment something happens to them that they morally don't like. But in conversation, when you talk about God and morals, people will say, well, I don't think there's an objective standard, something that's true for everybody in morals. I think morals are kind of like fashion. You do you, I do me. They say that until you do something to them that they don't like. And then if you say back to them, well, I'm just doing me while I'm stealing stuff from your house, then they say, well, I don't believe in that subjective moral stuff anymore. This is objectively wrong. Police objectively, you know, arrest them because you just can't say back to them, no, I'm just doing me. Even the most free-loving people, you try to rape them, and we shouldn't, but I'm just doing that as a thought experiment. Somebody tries to rape them, they're like, no, just all sex ain't good for me. The kind of sex where you, you come on me and I don't want you on I me, mean, that's bad sex. But see, if you talk to them, all sex is good. And then, you know, you know, do what you want. Well, what if someone wants to rape you? What if someone wants to rape your family? You get real clear then, right? Oh, well, now, now it can't hurt me. Now it can't hurt the other person. Well, how did you learn to make those rules? Animals don't make those rules. Might makes right in the animal kingdom. How many have ever seen two dogs get it on together? And I don't mean a perverse way. I'm just saying like in a scientific, biological way. How many have seen some dogs? Seen them get it on. How many know they don't talk? Talk to each other first. How many have ever heard, let's just be honest, I, I grew up in Indiana, a lot more country than this, I guess, okay? I've heard some dogs yelping before because one dog didn't like what that other dog was doing. How many have ever had a male dog get around you and it found your leg to be quite appealing? What, what did you do with that dog? Did you have a sex ed talk with the dog? Dog, the leg is not going to help you. No, the dog is a dog. Well, why are humans now any different? I thought we were just animals. Why can't, the, why can't animals just act like animals then? You see, we have a hypocrisy that comes in us because we don't have a foundation. Somebody say a precious foundation. You see, we as Christians, we have a foundation, but the world doesn't. And that's why they contradict themselves all the time. They say, oh, don't bring your church into the state. There has to be separation of church and state. But they bring their satanic LGBTQ church into state all the time. They say, don't bring your book up when we talk about politics, but they bring their book up from Oprah Winfrey all the time when they talk about politics. Are you listening? They say, oh, don't judge me as they're judging you. Have you ever noticed that the most judgiest people are the people who tell you not to judge? All you have to do is ask them, are you judging me? It sounds like you're judging me because people will come up to us all the time while we're preaching on the streets. Stop judging people. Sounds like you're judging me, pointing a finger at me. Stop telling people what to do. Aren't you telling me what to do when you tell me to stop telling people what to do? Hypocrite much? But that's the world of folly. And you see, in this culture at that time, they made an agreement with the false god. They said, hey, we, I think we figured this out. There seems to be this history that our people have had with the God of Israel who says he's the God of life and blessing, but the God of Israel has told us if we do bad things, we get cursed and we have death, Deuteronomy 28. So some of these rulers of Jerusalem said, hey, 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 we got an idea here. Let's make a deal with the other gods. Let, you know, let's not just hang out with the God of life because we seem to be losing that, man. We keep getting punished. Let's not make a God with the God of holiness. Let's stop making deals with him. Let's make a deal with the God of perversion. And then we're going to get something from that God because we can certainly be perverted. Is anybody listening to me? Let's stop making a, a, a deal with the God of life. Let's find a false God. Now, they're not going to say it's false, but you know what I'm saying. I died an idol. Let's find a God that celebrates with we're, we're killing each other. 
And do you know, like I said, there's even gods like that today in Hinduism. So they started to both say, hey, I think we figured it out. If we make an agreement with evil, then how can really evil come to us? That's why a lot of times when you look at even in the East and in uh, Southeast Asia, so we're talking China and, and Japan and those areas, as well as India, when they have festivals, what do those gods they dress up like look like? What do they look like? Scary, angry faces. You can see that even in tribalistic religion. What are they doing? They're trying to say, oh, you're evil. I'm more evil. My God's more evil than your evil. I'm going to scare you while you're trying to scare me. Somebody say stupid is a stupid does. All of our cultures came from ignorant religions like that, by the way. And so God is now saying to them, oh, I hear your boasting. You think that you're going to make a lie your refuge, that falsehood is going to be your hiding place, that you're going to be able to hide from me because you believed a lie. Keep going now, verse 16. So this is what the Lord says. Somebody say, God says. God says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, hallelujah, a tested stone, a precious what? Somebody, somebody say it again, a precious cornerstone. Thank you, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. So you see, this is how we're going to measure off from that, from that place of the cornerstone. We're going to use righteousness. We're going to use justice. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie. The water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled, canceled. Cancel. Somebody say cancel. Come on, people want to cancel us, but God says, I'm in the end going to cancel you. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. Now go back into that verse, please, where it says this famous passage. This is what the Lord says, verse 16. I lay in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Now go to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter chapter 2. How many know Peter knew the Old Testament? Amen. How many know he, he loved the Old Testament? So when we look at the Christians of the New Testament, what were they using as their Bible? The Old Testament. But they knew Christ had fulfilled it so that there wasn't the same application of the moral laws of God, but the moral laws of God still stayed the same. In other words, God taught us how to be holy by not eating certain animals. It's not that God changed his mind in the New Testament when he said you can eat pork or bacon. How many are glad you can? How many love some lechon? That's the Latino way of saying the pork. You know what I'm saying? The, past, the, the, the taco al pastor, okay? I'm happy for that. I'm happy for shrimp. I ate some shrimp yesterday. But God did not change in his moral character. His moral character is still the same. But what was the lesson in the Old Testament that he was teaching us about dietary laws? He says it to Peter in the book of Acts when he tells him to kill and eat all those unclean animals. And then Peter says, I've never touched an unclean thing. And then he wakes up and he hears that there are some Gentiles asking for the gospel to be preached to their house. So God's morality of holiness and being separate from the world was what he taught them by the dietary law, but it wasn't for the sake of the diet. That wasn't the point. The point was to, for them to know they are a special people, a holy people. Can I hear an amen for being holy today? Amen. And so the Israelites were supposed to look at the non-Israelites as filthy because they lived according to the gods that they served, which were really false spirits and idols and so forth. And the people of Israel were supposed to know they were 
were chosen and that they belong to God. And the good news of the, the New Testament is that Christ is for everyone. He was there in the Old Testament reaching out to the nations. Don't get me wrong. You can see Jonah going to Nineveh. And how many know Nineveh is not Jerusalem? That was a part of Assyria. But we see the fullness that God is loving the world as Christ comes. But that time of that example of diet was there for, as the Bible says, a type and a shadow. If you look at me dropping my shadow on this table right here, the shadow comes from the hand. If I gave you a choice to have the iPhone or the iPhone shadow, what do you want? You want the phone, not the shadow. Are you listening to me? So do you want the shadow of the 613 laws, or do you want the God that the 613 laws reflect? You see, the law, the 613 laws of the Old Testament reflected who God is in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the law. Amen? Now we go to Peter, understanding that he has seen the ministry of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And now he starts in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, as you come to him, talking about Jesus, the living stone. So he's not just a dead kind of stone. You know, stones aren't alive. He's a living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Somebody say precious. Where do you think he's getting that? Talking about Jesus being a living stone, a precious stone. He's getting that from Isaiah. Didn't you just read it? Go ahead and put that passage up there for him. Isaiah chapter 24, uh, 16, uh, 28, 16. Show them that passage because why do you think he's using that language? Jesus is a stone. Jesus is a precious stone. 2816, please. Jesus is a precious stone. Somebody say he's precious. Anybody ever watch Lord of the Rings? My precious. That sick little twisted thing, right? But this is precious to our hearts because we know what he's done with, with, with us and how he's changed us. Jesus is our precious stone. Going back to Peter now. He says, you come to him, the living stone. Rejected by humans, chosen by God, precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you know right here how the shadow becomes the reality? Watch this. When Jesus came, all they, uh, before Jesus came, all they had was the shadow of sacrifice. All they had was the shadow of the priesthood. But now as Jesus comes to earth, what do they have? They have the real priesthood. That's Jesus Christ. They have the real sacrifice. That's his blood. Are you tracking with him? And where they looked at as a stone to a building, now they got the real stone, Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. He now says we have a living stone that we as stones are being built upon. We're being built upon Jesus. Now watch verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Do you see where Peter gets that from? Go right back to Isaiah 28. Go back to Isaiah 28. He's showing them this is the stone that Isaiah talked about. Now go back to the passage, and here it is, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Do you see that in verse 8? First Peter, I said Second Peter, so I was wrong. It was First Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Go ahead and put that up there. Thank you, sir. But you, a chosen people, somebody say, I'm chosen. A royal priestess. Somebody say, I'm royal. Say, I'm royalty. Thank you. A holy nation. Somebody say, I'm holy. Say, God's special possession. 
Amen. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but you have now received mercy. Everybody say precious cornerstone. Thank you. Now put up that picture for me, please. I want everybody to get this. In Isaiah, God is rebuking the leaders of the people, and he says, you've made a covenant with death, but death is not going to work for you that way. You're actually going to have that canceled, and you will die, and you will suffer. So you thinking death is going to help you, it's not going to help you. You believe in a lie, it's not going to change anything. What you need is a cornerstone. And now we know in the New Testament, who is that precious cornerstone? What's his name? Jesus. What's his name? Second service? Jesus. Thank you. So Jesus is that cornerstone. And because of that, now we can be these living stones built upon Christ. We can now be a living witness for Jesus. We can be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So now before we move on to some application, I want to ask you this question. Is our nation right now making Jesus their cornerstone? Are they taking that opportunity to do the things right? No. So we need the same rebuke now, don't we? We do. And what covenant has our people made with death? What covenant has the United States of America made with death? Number one, abortion. We've made a covenant with abortion. We think to ourselves, if we murder our children and sacrifice them to the God of convenience, the God of career, the God of sexual immorality, that our families and culture will be better. That's a devil's lie. People actually believe that the more they murder children, the better the culture will be. They have gotten to the point where they call murdering children health care. I talked to someone in there and I said, what is healthy and what is caring about murdering a child? He said, oh, it's the breast exam. It's the other thing. I said, of course, that's health care. But we're not out here rebuking them for the, uh, you know, the exams that they give. We're rebuking them for the death of children. It's not health. It's death. And it's not caring. It's destroying. But our culture has been deceived. They made a covenant with death. They have said to themselves, if we murder our children, our culture will be better. In that insanity, has our culture gotten better or worse? Of course, it's gotten worse. We are now murdering our own children to the point where there is a genocide among the people group known as African American. The number one murder rate among African American is in the, uh, the, the number one killer of abortion is African Americans. As a matter of fact, people say, if you want to get a little bit woke, that Latinos are coming in and outnumbering the African Americans because the African Americans have murdered their own people and have thus eliminated their workforce. So the African-American who gets upset that the Latino is coming in now to do the jobs that once they used to do or others used to do can now not be upset if they're murdering their own children, a genocide. And now we look at the black community and see, has abortion solved the problem of sexual immorality? Has abortion solved the problem of violence in the black community? It's been around for over 20 years. Has the black community gotten better by murdering their children at a higher rate than any other people group? No, it's a devil's lie. It has not helped. As a matter of fact, if the black community goes back to their grandparents and great-grandparents and to the 1900s to the 1950s, their families were bigger and their families were better. 
Oh, well, can you imagine that? More, more kids and a bigger family actually means a better life? Yeah. Father stays home with the mom. Look back into the marriage statistics of the African-American community in the 1900s, in the 1920s, in the 1930s, 50s, 60s. Notice that the family was strong, that the parents raised their children together, that having four, five, six, seven kids was not, an, was not anything uncommon. And now you see that that was what God intended. But what happened? The culture influenced the people, and the people believed a lie. Okay, now somebody might say, well, then what you going to say about the white people, Pastor? Come on, man. I'm amen, and you rebuking the African-American. We better talk about some white people up here. Oh, yeah. What did, the, what did the white people buy into hook, line, and sinker? LGBTQ. When you look back into the 60s and 70s, who were all the major leaders of the gay, lesbian movement? Anglo, white, educated people, San Francisco, Portland, all of these major cities. And what were they promoting? Death via sexuality. Oh, I thought that was just their way of having fun. No, did you not know that the lesbian community, the homosexual community, was the number one spreader of AIDS all throughout the 80s to the point where the Red Cross stopped accepting even their blood and blood transfusions if you admitted your lifestyle was from that background. And now we don't talk about AIDS because they find some work around it. There's quote-unquote a cure or medication, but yet it's still that community that trades more sexually transmitted diseases than any other community. It's still in their communities, if you go to Boys Town, the clinics stay the busiest because of the perversion of homosexuality. There were studies done, especially in the gay men's community, about how many sexual partners an, actual, uh, an, an, an active homosexual man will have. And it was upwards of 100 to 200 to 300 times a heterosexual male. I mean, if you just think about it, if you have a man that most of the time thinks about sex and he's trying to convince a woman who generally does not think about sex, his, his rate of success is going to be pretty low, right? But if you have a man that's thinking about sex most of the time and he wants to have a sexual relationship with another man that's thinking about sex most of the time, well, hence the reason of all of the meetups and bathrooms and Tinder and all of these perverse things. Multiple hookups even in one day. And yet the culture doesn't want to talk about this, this covenant they made of death because they want to say God designed them that way. But it's really a covenant of death. It is destroying the family. God intended the family to have a feminine character and a masculine character. And that's why still in most relationships, though it's not all, and I don't want to be, uh, I'm already being judged by the LGBTQ community, of course, but I don't want to say something that is not, I don't want it to be misunderstood. I'm not saying all homosexuals are promiscuous or all are like this, but the great majority are through stats. And yes, it's still supported by stats that those in that lifestyle have come from sexual abuse, which is death to their sexuality as well. Are you listening to me? But even in their own relationships, what do you see when two men get together? A feminine figure and a masculine figure. You see women and men both in their lesbian or homosexual relationships imitating masculine and femininity. 
Very seldom will you ever see two masculine together, two feminine together in, in either of lesbian and homosexual relationships. Normally what you see is a masculine figure and a feminine figure. Why is that? Because they're still operating on the same code that God designed them to do. And yet, and yet they make this covenant with death we will somehow be safe and better in our sexuality while we have more sexual partners, while we have sex for recreation in ways that it was not intended to. They somehow think that's going to spare them from the punishment that comes from homosexuality. And it doesn't. All of the sexual perversion of the 80s did not, uh, excuse me, all the AIDS coming to the sexual gay community. Uh, I lost my, uh, the person who cut my hair to AIDS in the 80s. All of that death didn't slow down the homosexual movement. It kept growing because they're not looking at the results of their lifestyles. Even now you have people who have come out of the transgender lifestyle and some even currently in the transgender lifestyle saying, dear God, do not do it to children. And those even in it or out of it have said, do, do not do it to children. And yet we keep pushing it to our children, death to their sexual organs. What must happen for a person to become transgender? Start with the woman. Death, death to her breasts that are meant to feed and give life. Death to her uterus, which is meant to produce life. What do you do to a man's genitalia that has the seed of life? You cut it out, death. Our culture has made a covenant with death in abortion, homosexuality, lesbianism, and transgenderism. And what else has it made a covenant of death in? Suicide. Suicide has never been more admired, more looked up to, more fantasized than in this culture right now. And yet it is increasing and becoming a trend and no one is stopping it. They have gotten to the point now that they have recognized that suicide is such a copycat uh, type of behavior that now the mental health world is making code language to describe when someone dies of suicide because they do not want the worldly news to make it fantasiful because more are doing it when they see how it's glorified. In other words, you can now look up the words to use regarding suicide, and they want all the major news publications to use them. They, they, they want them to say they died by suicide because people kept saying they passed away. And when they passed away, they sounded like they went to a better place. People read it and go, I want to pass away like, like Robin Williams. Research the spike in suicide after every famous person commits suicide. Robin Williams had one of the highest spikes of suicide in this nation because everybody heard the way they talked about Robin Williams and how beautiful his life was and how he had just passed away. He didn't die by suicide. It wasn't murder of himself. It was he just passed away. He's gone on to a better place. And, and, and then now you can see if all of these young people are looking up to Robin Williams, they go, well, well, he had money, and he still wanted to commit suicide, so I guess money won't change my life. He had a lot of sexual relationships, so I guess sex won't change my life. He had a lot of fame and fortune, so I guess fame and fortune won't change my life. If none of those things were hope or help to him, what hope or help will I have? And then they took their lives because suicide is a sin that comes to the vulnerable who do not have a precious foundation. Are you listening to me? 
I still believe that suicide is self-murder and you're no more uh, innocent than the person who murders someone. If you murder yourself, you're going to hell as a murderer. Do you understand? You do not get to murder yourself, get to heaven, and then tell Jesus how bad your life was. If your life is bad now, seek help. If you feel like you're overwhelmed, let me buy you a set of handcuffs and someone to handcuff you to anytime you feel like you're going to hurt yourself. What you do not want to do is take your own life. Do you understand? I am not making less or light or those who have mental illness. I study it as a hobby. I have the journals. I have the statistics. I understand brain science as much as I can for not being a neuroscientist myself. And I will tell you this right now. On judgment day, no suicidal person will have an excuse. You are a wicked sinner going to hell. If you do not like your life, I've got a solution for it. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. You don't want to live anymore the way it is right now? Deny yourself. Stop self-asphyxiating on yourself. That's what suicide is. It is the fruit of selfishness. It does not end pain. It transfers pain. And it will not end yours, but it will send you directly to an eternity of pain. You will go to hell. Do you understand me? Sometimes people say, I don't understand you. So I want to ask you today, church, do you understand me? We have preached on this. I have doctrine on this. I have wrote on this. This is in our statements on the website of what we believe. We take suicide serious in this church. We will help you. We will pray for professional counseling. We are not against it. We do not speak against the, the medical world and the help that they're trying to give. My point to you is that will not be your answer unless you have Jesus. And stop with this nonsense that it's mental insanity. They do not know what they are doing. That is a devil's lie. More than half or upwards of half of suicidal victims are so coherent that they plan it out, they leave a note, and they do so with precise bitterness. They are precise in why they're doing it and who they want to hurt while doing it. Those selfish, wicked people. I know some have had quite a compassion on our military, and I do too, who comes back with post-traumatic stress. But listen to me, if you were wicked over there killing or seeking to find pleasure in death, and then you come back here and do not find pleasure in life because of death being your God, your covenant will come back on you and you will die. You were not meant to murder those in the image of God and take a just war and make it for your pleasure. And that is what happens a lot in military. People go to war to pull a trigger, to feel better. They run from their problems. And then after killing people with a guilty conscience, they kill themselves. David could kill the enemy, come back home, and play a song on a harp. Yes, David killed people in battle, and it wasn't murder. David could behead somebody, come back and go, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, you can have a clear conscience as a police officer. You can have a clear conscience as being in the military. God will give you the right way and the just way to fight. But those who go to the military to escape their problems become addicted to drugs or are looking for a way out, and they murder or they kill, and they do it in the wrong way, they themselves will suffer the penalty. Do I have compassion for teenagers? Do I have compassion for the military? Absolutely, but I want everyone to listen to me. You who make a covenant with death will suffer. Do not make a covenant with abortion. Do not make a covenant with abortion. It is of death, and you will suffer. 
Do not agree to it. Do not vote for it. Stand against it. Do not make a covenant with sexual perversion that brings death. You will suffer for it in your agreement. You will suffer for it in your support. Your spiritual well-being will suffer. Are you listening to me? Do not support suicide. Now, you may say, Pastor, how do I respond to those who have committed suicide? And I know as I begin to write this book that the Lord has put in my heart, as I said, I've preached on it, I'll have to address this because listen to me very carefully. I'm not saying that we tell people their loved ones are in hell. I don't think that ever works. If you had someone in your family that converted to Islam and they die, is that a good time to talk about them being in hell? I don't think it's practical. If you have someone in your family and they died living in adultery, sexual perversion. My sister was living with a man she was not married to, died drinking and driving. I went to the funeral. I said, y'all better get right with God. I didn't need to tell everybody she was in hell. I could just tell them, get right with God, because these kind of people, and I named her sins, don't go to heaven, okay? Are you listening to me? We can be kind to people. We can be respectful in their moments of grieving, but here's what we need people to understand. When someone dies, like a suicidal victim, whether they're in heaven or hell or not does not change this. Does everybody get that? What we need to be able to do is just stand up for righteousness. So when I write that book, By God's Grace, I'm going to say, listen, some of you all have had loved ones commit suicide, and you're going to be mad at me when you read this book. But here's the thing. I want you to hear these words and not commit suicide because you have now just had a double chance because of your cowardly, sinful relative. They did that. Your chance has just doubled or tripled that you're going to commit suicide. So before you get mad at me, read this word and get free. Are you listening to me? Because as it's been passed down by their mentality of watching someone else do it, what do you think? Uh, I had a friend, his dad blew his brains out in his bathroom, and he saw it all happen in front of him, or at least the after effects. What do you think is now the temptation for that young man when he gets uh, through a hard time? Well, my dad blew his brains out. Maybe I'll blow my brains out. You see, the increase of suicide comes to those who have had it in their family. So I want you to understand, you can get mad or you can get glad. Get set free and say, suicide is not for me. Amen? This culture wants death. But we need to bring life. Just imagine this, just for a few moments before I, I move on. I want everyone to get this. They are angry with us because we want babies to be born and they want to murder them. They are angry with you. Just go to one of your friends' Facebook that is about pro-choice and put up a baby that's been aborted and say, that's what you're for and see how their friends react. They will be angry with you when you stand against LGBTQ. They will be angry. They will think you are their enemy. Then you show them the age statistics. You show them the broken families. Women in lesbian relationships, sometimes people think like, oh, that's got to be cute. They are the most abused. Women are the most abused in lesbian relationships. Most abused in lesbian relationships. And they're scared to get out because they don't want people to know that lesbian doesn't, lesbianism doesn't work. But the highest rates of abuse in relationships for women is when they're married to a woman. And you know what? They'll get, ma they'll get mad with you. They'll get angry with you. They will get angry with you when you talk about someone living instead of blowing their brains out. They'll say, well, we should just, you know, just say that's the way it is. No, no, I'm not going to say that's the way it is. It's not the way culture is supposed to be. We're not supposed to have Netflix series about teenagers killing themselves. I mean, freedom of speech, you can make it, but that should not be watched. We should not be glorifying rock stars, music stars, food stars, entertainers, moms and dads when they commit suicides. We should say it's a shame. We should say God have mercy on their souls. And we should say every, to everybody around them, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Are you listening to me? We need to make sure that we talk to Robin Williams' kids. Turn to Jesus, son. 
Because life is short and it's deceptive. Turn to Jesus. And you may be the last, I may be the last voice you hear. And listen to me, I want to be very clear with you. If I'm the last voice you hear, you will hear this for eternity. That I'm speaking to you. Do not take life. Come to the precious cornerstone and build your life. You might, you might say, well, I'm going to give myself over to perversion. That church doesn't love me. I'm going to be, all the, I'm going to be the most uh, uh, you know, flaming homosexual I can be just in spite of the church. And by the way, people do that when we preach in front of Planned Parenthood. They give to Planned Parenthood in our name. They come up to us. What's your name? Oh, my name's Joe. How, how, how nice to meet you. Well, just want to let you know, Joe, I'm going to give $100 to Planned Parenthood in your name. And I say, well, the Nazis love to do that kind of thing too. You would make a good knot, and they get so shocked, and they think it's, they say, that, that's apples and oranges. I say, no, it's not. The genocide of a people is the genocide of a people. Hitler would have rejoiced to be able to kill 50 million. He would look at the abortion thing and say, man, you guys saved me a whole lot of time. I wouldn't have to get all the gas. We've killed over 50 million just in our country on abortion alone, and people will be upset with you about it, but you stand for life. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. Let's go to Matthew, please. Chapter 7. We're going to come to that scripture here that we have on that, but, uh, on that picture, but I want to show it to you in context. How many want life and life more abundantly? How many want to build a culture on life? Don't let them discourage you, saints. Don't let them put you down. I've been now more emboldened than I've ever been before to preach about it because now I know the worst that they can do, it's already been done. They can threaten us. They can come after you, try to take your job. That's all they can do. And then if they kill us, they send us to meet Jesus in heaven. I love what uh, Nikki Cruz said to David, uh, what David Wilkerson said to Nikki Cruz. Uh, David Wilkerson was reaching out to the gangs of New York, I believe, in the 60s. And Nikki Cruz was a, a, a practitioner of this gang, and he was also into witchcraft. So he was very vile and just wicked. He learned it from his relatives, and he would go out and practice it on his uh, enemies and just do wicked things from these spirits that he said would possess him. So he said to David Wilkerson as he was preaching to him, he said, I'm going to cut you up, preacher, in a hundred pieces and put you out all over the streets. And you know, what David Wilkerson said back to him, and every one of those pieces will be saying, Jesus loves you. You see, you can't kill us by, uh, you can't kill the message by killing us. Our message has already been here before us. I didn't write this thing. It's going to be here after me. Do you understand? And we're doing it for your own good. We're doing it because we love you. Just like the Bible says, many of us used to be just like you. Many of us used to love abortion or have abortions. Many of us used to be homosexual, bisexual, transgender, and now we love the sexuality God gave us. Many of us used to love to the, the wickedness of this world and to justify it, and now God has changed us. Some were suicidal in this place, but God set them free. He'll do the same for you. Call out on Jesus. Look at what Jesus says. He says here in chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the what? Built, the, built his house on the what? The rock. You see, we're learning about a cornerstone. That's a rock, isn't it? It's something that can handle the weight. It's something that can take the pressure. The ones who hear the words of God and put them into practice are, a wise, peop are wise people. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the what? Come on, I'm not talking about Dwayne. What's his name, Dwayne? What's his last name? Johnson, thank you. I'm not talking about Dwayne Johnson. I'm talking about Jesus. Somebody say the rock. Thank you, but, who any, but anyone or everyone, rather, who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man 
or a foolish culture who built their house on stand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Where did all these world empires go that came before us? They crashed, didn't they? They didn't last long, did they? Where, where, where is, uh, you know, the, 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 the people of, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Aztecs and all that, the Mayans, did? where are they at? Where is Kuta Kinte's people and his leadership? You know, Shaka Zulu, where are they? Come on, where are the pharaohs of Egypt? Where are they? Where are the Caesars of Rome? What happened to Alexander the Great? Where are the 300? Where are the Spartans? They're gone. Do you think we as a culture are going to make a covenant with death, build our culture and our lives on sand and survive a storm? It won't happen. Every culture that denies God will be turned into hell, the Bible says. Sin is a disgrace to any people. We are here at this time to make our decision. Oftentimes when I come to you to preach the gospel, I think to myself about the person who wrote this. So I think about, as we're reading Matthew, I think about Matthew. I think about his generation. And then I think about the generation that came after Matthew. The church fathers, as we know, as Irenaeus, Polycarp, Ignatius. And then I start to think about those who came after them. Augustine and Jerome and the others that came after them. And then I begin to think about the different church groups that have risen up in revival, like the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, who have laid foundation for us to be here. And then more closer to our time and to what we practice here, I think about William J. Seymour in the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, being an African-American, one of the first and only to open up a open, uh, diverse church, take away the barrier of segregation. It took a former slave to break the division that was in the church. And I look back to those even that I have known and shook hands with like Lester Summerall and other leaders, leaders that maybe you would know or not know, like Pastor Wade Sutherland from the South Side who taught me how to preach when I was in Bible college that has now gone home to be with the Lord. And I think about the foundations that they laid on the Word of God. And then I look at my life and I ask myself, and I hope you do too, are we laying the foundation again on the Word or are we trying to build on something else? It breaks my heart when I see a culture, and we are mostly a church of young adults, mostly people under 40, you know, and I see a church and many of you don't even know your own heroes from your own communities. If I was to ask you, African-American, Anglo, Latino, Asian, tell me the four or five influential people who reached your culture with the gospel in the last hundred years, most of us wouldn't even know their names. But if I asked you from some dude who wears tights and spandex on a field and hits a ball with a bat over a fence, you would know their names. Or somebody who jumps up and down on a court with a rubber ball throwing it through a metal rim, you know their names. Are you listening? Or someone who takes another ball and runs it into other people until they cross an end zone. Another special part of the grass. And yet where are the African American leaders of the church that have laid that foundation? Where are the Latino leaders that came before us? I remember when Shakira was out there with Jennifer Lopez shaking what her mama gave her at the Super Bowl. 
We put up there how disgusting and disgraceful it was. And then people started calling me and my wife racist because you white and you don't understand. I said, you must not have listened to what I had to say about Madonna 20 years ago. You weren't around then when I was, when I was rebuking Miley Cyrus. Oh, and they got mad at me when I rebuked Obama. But where were you when I was rebuking Clinton? And then I said to my Latinos and Latinas, I said, please come up on this feed and tell these folks, this ain't your people. Oh, Miley Cyrus is my people. Please don't disrespect my people. That's how I hear when people sound like that. Don't disrespect my people. Miley Cyrus ain't my people. Are you listening to me? I almost cry right now. My people, Wade Sutherland's wife, Mama Sutherland, shirt up to her neck, down to her arms. That's my people. Brought in a crack addict baby into her house to raise as her own, only to have him live in a crib his whole entire life until he passed. Went on fast for him weekly so he might be healed. I fasted with her. That's my people. No white person is my people because you're white. No people is your people because they've got what? Uh, uh, an eighth of skin that looks like you? Because they have a verbiage that talks like you. My people aren't American. When they say, oh, your people enslaved my people. No, they didn't. My people were the ones enslaved singing spiritual songs unto God. That's my people. My, my people are the Christian people. My people aren't the Italian people. To hell with Italy. My people aren't the Polish people. To hell with Poland. And up with the kingdom of God. Do you understand? Kingdom over culture. And I don't mean to disrespect anything that my people have done well in the things of God. But whatever has not been done for the things of God from the Italian culture is nothing but a pile of sand. And you can actually see the sand pile right now, can't you? Well, look at these artifacts of Rome, sand crumbled on. Well, that's part of it? Yeah, now part of it's right there. Guess what? When my God comes back, all of it's going to be turned to dust. You think you saw something when you saw Armageddon or one of these movies where the asteroid hit the White House or what was that one? Fourth of July with Will Smith, Independence Day. You thought that was the way till my God levels this place out. That's my people. My people coming back on a white horse with Jesus. My people are holy people. My people are building on the things of God. And if we get to that point, we'll stop falling for the tricks of the enemy. Your people are God's people. And God's people have been in every culture. God's people have been around making a way for us now to do it. And the question is, what do you want to do? Because everyone has a foundation. Don't let anybody tell you, as Vinny comes, please, in closing. Don't let anybody tell you, if you could put that, that image up again of the cornerstone. You know, I don't have a cornerstone. Well, then what? You're just a pile of rubble on the ground? You see, everybody's building on something, aren't they? And they want to come to you as a Christian and go, oh, you poor thing. You're just a religious person, aren't you? I'm not that religious. But you watch Netflix religiously. You spend money on yourself religiously, man. You, have you ever seen a Hindu idol? You dress yourself up just like one. Have you seen the new thing that the guy just did, the rapper, I believe, from Mexico? He implanted gold chains into his head. Did you see the other rapper that put a gold jewel, a, a gem in his, his head? Have you seen people idolize themselves? Have you seen how they nip and tuck themselves? You an idol worshiper of yourself. Don't let anybody tell you they're not a worshiper. 
Don't let anybody tell you they're not religious. Don't let anybody get away with saying they don't have a foundation. Oh, yeah, you do. Everybody does. Everybody has something as their cornerstone. But not everybody's is precious. We have a precious cornerstone that when Jesus came in the flesh for us, he didn't see us as cultures. He saw us as his lost sheep. When that Samaritan woman thought she was just coming to get water, she had been mistreated by the Jews who thought she was less than, Jesus sat down right next to her and said, if you knew the one that was sitting next to you, you would ask him for something to drink. And she said, man, I don't understand what you're saying. You're talking about worshiping? Well, I was told I have to go where the Jews are at to go worship. And you know what? They have Jew-only signs everywhere I go, so I can't even, I can't go where they tell me to worship. What does he say to that Samaritan woman? God is a spirit. And he's looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. How many know that day that Samaritan woman got closer to Jesus than any Jew in Jerusalem? How many know that time when that Italian tough guy, hey, 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 my name is Bobby, Bobby, hey, you know, I'm a tough guy and I'm a centurion soldier around here, okay? I tell one to go, he goes. I tell one to come, he comes. I got a cousin named Vinny. But I heard, but I heard about this Jesus guy. I'm going to go check him out. I'm going to check out Jesus. Hey, I had some Italians that used to come here and they used to talk like that. No joke. They used to talk. They live right by Harlem and everything. Good restaurants, good food, good pizza, I'm telling you. He comes to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I know you can fix a problem, okay? You, you're the problem solver here. I went to my Godfather. He can't do it. Nobody can do it, Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you can fix this. Jesus, fix my problem. What's the problem? Well, one, one of my servants is sick, Jesus. And then Jesus goes, I'll come on over there. He goes, no, Jesus, no, no, no. You don't even got to come to my house. Just speak the word, Jesus. Because when I speak the word, they come. When I tell them to go, they go. Jesus, speak it. Jesus says, I haven't seen greater faith than this anywhere in Israel. I love it that he came for my people and made us his people. You see, you got a people, I get it, but you need to belong to him first now. Jesus reached out to everybody. Jesus is saying, build your life on this foundation right here. Well, my parents taught me differently. It doesn't matter. Build your foundation on this. Well, I was born a certain way. That's how I know this is the way I am. Be born again a different way. Make Jesus your foundation. Well, everybody in my culture is going to laugh at me because this is my foundation. They're going to find out mine doesn't look like their sandbox. Have you ever seen one of those cartoons where the character is beautiful? But everybody's ugly, and all the ugly people make fun of the beautiful one. And then it comes out to be that they knew that something happened a long time ago where this one was special, but they wanted the one that was special to feel dumb. I watched too many cartoons. I can't remember the one it was, but I'm telling you, there was a cartoon just like this. Seriously, they called that one ugly. I want you to understand, you are a precious people too. Jesus said, you're precious. He said, you're chosen. You are set apart. They're looking at you going, oh, that's so ugly. You got marble as your foundation. You should have sand and gravel. They're literally, that's what they're like. They're making fun of your marble, glorious, precious foundation, and they've got gravel and sand. Don't let them discourage you. Make Jesus your foundation. 
When we get to heaven, we're going to see how God orchestrated us in this culture to make a difference. And here's the thing. They're watching you to see if you really believe what you believe. Because when you, when you talk about your marriage and then you say you're about ready to get divorced, what does the homosexual say? See, they don't take marriage seriously. Y'all divorce in any way. We might as well be able to marry. That's what they have said. When they see you not wanting children, well, I'm going to wait till I'm 45 to have kids. You know, They're going to say, well, why can't I abort a child? Because we look at children even in our culture. I've had Christian parents get upset with their Christian young adults getting married in their 20s. They would rather have had their child go to college, get an STD, get two abortions, and still come to church than to get married in their 20s and waste their life. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. People have heard these stories. We were like, what? So-and-so parents said, what? You would rather have them catch three STDs and finish college. How many people have finished college but are still going to hell? How many people have finished college but they caught something when they were there and it's more than an education? When people are hearing us or seeing us fail at our marriages, they say, well, we'll make a better covenant of death than you are. We'll go all the way. When they see us complaining about our family, seeing faults in our foundation, they'll say, how dare you judge me? When they see us being depressed all the time and all of our Christian worship songs are sad little country songs. Oh, Jesus, fix me. I'm broken. Yeah, just keep playing that right there. I'll tell you what, I, when I turn on K-Love, this is what it's like. I woke up in the morning and I saw myself. I hated what I saw, I was so discouraged. Then I went to work and I wanted to die. I felt like a loser. But thank God you love me. <laughs> thank God you love a loser like me. I can make it through another day when I think how you love a loser like me. Beautifully broken. Every part of me, I'm beautifully broken the way it's supposed to be. That's how they sing. They sing all that craziness. Put that in your spirit. And then you think Christian life is just one step from suicide. That's why when these pastors commit suicide, everybody's like, well, man, if I want to commit suicide, I only got these many problems. How many more problems that guy has? A woman pastor just committed suicide the other day. Oh, man, we feel so bad for her. She must have had so many problems. Come on. Idolizing death, destruction. Make a covenant with God. Make a covenant with God that you are what he says you are. You can do what he said you can do. Speak the word over your life. Build a foundation in your life where you speak the word. Though you're weak, he is strong. Though at times you're pressed, but you're not crushed. You're knocked down, but you're not destroyed. You may feel alone, but the shepherd's next to you. His rod and staff will strengthen you. Would you stand up today and give it up for Jesus? Come on, somebody say, God's been good to me. Come on, somebody say, I got a precious foundation. Amen. Banded altar workers, would you come, please?